The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest today is Julie Emmett, the Senior Director of Retail Partnerships for the Plant-Based Foods Association, or PBFA, a trade association representing America's leading plant-based food companies. Julie develops opportunities for PBFA member companies and retailers to achieve their sales goals through education, data analysis, research, and marketing initiatives. In this conversation, we talk about Julie's background and her work at PBFA, and then we dive into the current state of the plant-based foods industry and what's restricting retailers from dedicating more shelf space to plant-based foods. We also get into which categories are getting the most attention and why, as well as the importance of learning what the right merchandising strategies are for plant-based foods across categories. We then discuss PBFA's shopper marketing program with Lucky Foods and what the results were. And Julie then talks about how PBFA and Kroger, the number one grocery retailer in the U.S., are launching an innovative research project in 60 stores across the country focused on plant-based meat. Julie explains why plant-based is more than a trend and is now a movement that is unstoppable. This episode is packed with really great information, and I hope you enjoy it. Julie Emmett from Plant-Based Foods Association, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you, Nell, for having me. There's so much going on on the front lines of this effort to get um, retailers to see the opportunity in plant-based, to get brands to see where more distribution opportunities are there for them. Um, And I don't know if anyone else who has a better view of things than you um, because you're out there fighting the good fight uh, on behalf of the Plant-Based Foods Association, which represents over 150 members now. Uh, so in some ways, on behalf of the plant-based food industry. So we're going to spend the next um, hour or so talking about the work that you're doing. But uh, before we dive into the current work, I'd like to go back uh, in terms of what were you focused on and what your professional background was that led you to Plant-Based Foods Association and focusing on the plant-based food industry? Yeah, so my career has been primarily in grocery retail. So based on what you just described, it's really such a a, a wonderful opportunity to be able to apply all of the experience that I've had within the industry over a a long period of time to applying it to something that I'm believe in so deeply and I'm so passionate about and have the opportunity to work with retailers. And like you said, where it's actually 
you know, they own their stores, they they have direct contact with 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 the shoppers and where these decisions are are made. So I started very early in my career. I worked for a food broker, which um, is for anybody that doesn't know, is the marketing and sales arm for brands. They're paid on a percentage basis. So started with a food broker when I was uh, about 14 working in working on the uh, matching invoices and uh, went into managing a, a retail territory and which was exposed to uh, just the, the sales and marketing and found that to be very interesting and it paid well, to be honest. So I, I had actually planned to go to school for to become a registered dietitian because I've always been passionate about health and wellness, um, but this caught my attention in terms of, you know, the 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 interesting side of marketing and and to be honest at that time the money was very good so that's where my my education and experience took me and I worked for that food broker for about 10 years and went into brand management and left there leading the or managing the grocery department and I was asked by one of our clients to work for them and that was Nabisco Foods and went into customer marketing and then became their director of marketing in um, back east and really um, just continually learning and evolving with the retail industry and came back. That's when Kraft purchased Nabisco and I continued working there for another you know, period of time. And it, I was then offered a position with a shopper marketing firm. And I thought that was something that was better fit for my, my focus on health and wellness. I was invited to manage their health and wellness campaigns. So for was an on-site shopper marketing for Campbell's for their heart health campaigns in uh, primarily within Safeway and did various campaigns for Abbott Nutrition and other other brands with the with the focus of health and wellness and learning about shopper marketing and learning more about the shopper and how they connect. And from there I sought a position with Spins, who is a, a data provider and yeah, just uh, very, very steeped within health and wellness and was working in product development for organics and open nature for Albertsons. And that's actually how I met Michelle. We were working on a plant-based meal launch uh, for Albertsons and Michelle was seeking to retail partnerships and that's how I met Michelle. And so I was able to um, have this opportunity to bring it all together. Like I said, I just felt feel like most of my experiences now being able to serve me with the Plant-Based Foods Association, which is um, just, you know, like a dream come true, really. Yeah, and just to clarify for people who haven't picked up on whom that Michelle is, we're talking about Michelle Simon, who oh, thank uh, you. is the executive director of the Plant-Based Foods Association and, and started it um, now about, I would say, three, four years ago. Yeah, um, it was early in 2016, right? Right. Um, and so it sounds like this was your your way to plant based. What what attracted you about the plant based foods association and the and the and the plant based food industry to, in general? So I had been in and around product development, but not a, a integral part of the movement. So in learning about Michelle Michelle Simon's work within the policy arena, and and knowing that that on behalf of our members there was a need to be able to create partnerships on behalf of our members and knowing that I had a, an, an intimate knowledge of how retailers work and, and the, being able to further the cause of plant-based foods. I saw the growth internally. I saw the 
the opportunity in terms of how it was being viewed as a category in and of itself, the the tremendous, you know, the the very important purchase drivers behind it. And this, to me, you know, working with PBFA allowed me to focus solely on something that was has such tremendous opportunity and just you know, to fulfill the passion in, in something that not only was about health, because really that was my lens for all, you know, most of the time that I've talked about, but then really learning about the firsthand from a credible standpoint, the other critically important elements of, of plant-based with animal welfare and the environment. So you have three, I don't think there's any more important three drivers behind a, a movement being health, animal welfare, and the environment. And to be able to to uh, apply what I've learned and and work with the, with the the people in this organization, that's why I chose PBFA. <laughs> yeah. And so, what's your sort of role and mandate at PBFA? Where's your focus? Um, where has it been? And so just so I, so listeners have context, how long have you been there? And um, yeah. And what is your focus now? Has it changed since you started? Mm-hmm. It's evolved, definitely. Um, so the position was just beginning at that time. So I took the role mid-year last year. And the uh, my role is to develop retail partnerships. And that has taken the form of education and research, marketing, and data analytics. So that's those are the the types of activities that we, you know, are the basis of how we partner with retailers on behalf of members. And really the mandate is ultimately to help guide retailers who are very receptive to how to best merchandise. And the mandate is to shed light on the fact that they need to expand shelf space and the importance of signage the importance of signage in stores to make it easier for shoppers to find what they're seeking. And because they're, it's still a relatively small percentage of total sales, but definitely the growth engine, um, it's grown 31% in the past, you know, since 2017, while total store sales are flat. Uh, it's, it's my view of, of the total volume of this, um, we created the definition and have sized the market and demonstrate growth. That's part of the education. And so it's 4.5 billion growing 11% in the past year. Mm-hmm. But m- knowing that most shoppers, other than the 6% of the population that has been identified as vegan or plant-based vegetarian, the rest of the you know 94% um, are, have heard about plant-based or, uh, you know, want to find it but they can't find it and that's really the the goal is to is to help to help expand shelf space and make it easier for the shopper so obviously that sounds like a no-brainer that if you look at those numbers you see 31 percent growth in a two-year period mm-hmm. you see how that's outpacing traditional retail grocery sales uh one yes. would think that that those two data points in itself should be enough for a retailer to say, well, maybe we should be doing more for, in the plant-based category. Unfortunately, the reality isn't that simple. Um, so it, it, when you talk to retailers right now, what has been your experience uh, or what is the feedback that you get from them when you're trying to convince them, here's what you need to do to improve signage, to increase shelf space so that all the customers that are making it into your grocery store who 
are likely to purchase plant-based products, are able to find them, are able to learn about them, and then, of course, buy them. Mm -hmm. So the reality of it is the the categories that plant-based foods currently play in, which are you know, many now, mm -hmm. that the sheer volume of, let's just talk about meat and dairy, is critical to their bottom line. You know, most retailers have quarterly earnings and sales numbers that they have to hit. And we don't, the, 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 the idea is not to focus on what they need, what they're not supposed to be doing or anything to threaten what they, what they currently have to maintain in order to actually not just their own numbers, but to satisfy what many shoppers are also looking for. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a fine balance between maintaining what they currently need to maintain and leaning in to what what we know is is an incredibly incredible growth opportunity so that's in terms of you know what are the what the challenges uh, i that's that's the best way i can describe it it's just a, a fine line and a fine balance of understanding that you know there's all most companies are coming in and talking to retailers about that they need more shelf space, but they view PBFA as they, they seek our guidance. They seek um, the education. They're very hungry for the education to understand what it is that that's happening so they can anticipate and act accordingly. So that's been, you know, the, the great, the wonderful part of the work that we're doing is the receptiveness and then just figuring out, you know, how, how, how to do this. And I think really what we found is that there are certain champions within a retailer that, that are either passionate and knowledgeable about plant-based and they're also influential. And because really the, the, the people within the retailers that manage, for example, the meat department and the dairy, you know, they're, they have, you know, they have their mandate, they have their mandates, you know, their day-to-day -day job that they, they need to, to, to manage. And, while they want to educate themselves and learn about plant-based, they it's almost universal that they've it's been either somebody who has come to us in that capacity asking for our help, or um, somebody's you know they've asked for the authority to be able to explore this and be able to make recommendations on how how they should be merchandising and the type of marketing programs they should be running and and. Again, like I said, that person has to not only be passionate, but also influential. And we've been very lucky to find, very fortunate to be able to find those people that and, and create incredible opportunities. Yeah, it makes me think that in the, in the absence of uh, the work that you're doing or PBFA, what were, uh, were companies on an individual basis reaching out to retailers and trying to fight this battle on their own? Um, and and again, I guess some have been more successful than others, but how is it that PBFA is able to come in? Obviously, because you, you're a membership organization, you're representing pretty much the entire industry across categories. Sorry. I can see the pluses to that, of course, because you are you, you have a lot more more companies back behind you, and you and you kind of have to represent their best interests. But mm -hmm. the negatives of that, which you kind of touched on also, which is now you have plant-based playing in nearly all categories. So the, the question then becomes, where do you prioritize your focus? So I guess it's a two-part question. One is, what were companies, what are companies doing on their own and what were they doing in the past? And secondly, 
Um, yeah, how do you prioritize which categories to focus on? Is it based on numbers or uh, where there's, yeah, I guess is it based on where most consumer interest is? Right, right. I think brands have data on their side. You know, they, they're able to demonstrate their their growth and importance. And so I think that they are well-versed in category management and meaning that they recommend what products and price and promotions and and they work with data providers to bring in uh, the trends and to be able to inform the retailers that way. And I think that you, you did talk about that we have, it's been um, recognized that we are viewed as overall unbiased and the expert in the industry and that we're, we're solely exist to help educate. And so we can, we can further the brand's cause and bring in and reinforce all of the information that they have been sharing in the past. And, and, and really as we, as this role has been evolving, part of the, part of, I think one of the constraints that many member companies, plant-based food companies face is they are focused on supply and um, securing capital and all of the challenges that that their new companies have or their you know what many many challenges mm -hmm. that that smaller companies have and so one of the the ways we kicked off this this role was through a pilot shopper marketing program and um, that was funded so we're, we're actually infusing we're not taking existing marketing funds from the brands we were able to infuse new funding and test what specifically works in terms of shopper marketing um, in-store marketing for plant-based foods specifically so we ran a program uh, with lucky foods uh, there were 70 stores in northern california and we they already had people might not assume that a conventional retailer like that had a good plant-based assortment, but we were just amazed with the the amount of plant-based foods that they already had. They were in the process of, of redesigning their stores to be um, more updated. And we felt they had done all the groundwork and they were very interested in running a, a, a campaign. And so we actually employed, you know, several different tactics, some of them being, you know, sampling products in the store. Uh, the, the campaign was called Fall in Love with Plant-Based. And we worked with an agency to develop the assets, the artwork, the signage for the stores. I mean, it was a very you know, integrated, comprehensive program. And one of the, the different tactics that we that we used for that was because PBFA has such strong relationships with the media that's not normally used as a as a marketing tactic yeah. but we we announced we, we uh, launched or released a press release and uh 13 different outlets picked it up that this store in northern california this chain of 70 stores was uh focusing a campaign on plant-based and i actually was in the store talking with a manager and a couple came in holding the the newspaper and went up to the manager and said we hear that you that you carry beyond meat here and i i thought you know it almost felt staged you know <laughs> it was yeah it was just amazing and so yeah so we and we, we learned some of the challenges as well and so the idea was that we could support our members in a in a kind of a research 
in in the in real life, you know, really understand and then and then share those learnings. And then as we move forward, we can help facilitate. So we did learn much to our, you know, it was very, very good to know. I mean, we didn't know what the results would be, but the total sales were up for the length of the campaign. It was an eight-week campaign. We're up 15% um, versus total store sales were flat. And the um, the we just learned that it's SaveMart is the parent company that they're going to be running this campaign again on their own. So that was that that confirms it was deemed a success overall, which is obviously just in terms of you know we didn't know what the outcome would be, but very glad that it was successful. And they um, are running it not in just the 70 stores for Lucky. They're running it in over 200 stores for all of their banners for SaveMart, uh, Lucky, and and um, FoodMax. So that was. Um, it's just really good learning. And so now we can help coordinate on behalf of our members, any retailer that wants to run a plant-based campaign, plant-based, plant-based food campaign, that we can help coordinate those efforts based on our learnings. So, And that campaign was sounds like it was across categories. So it wasn't like it was focused only on plant-based meats. No, exactly. It was every, every section of the store. So butter, yogurt, ice cream. Uh, every, all the all the categories that yeah and, just, and that's why it provides such a, a great opportunity for for all of our members to participate. Yeah, that's just an amazing little blueprint. You can you've got data from it. You've got a real um, uh, kind of a case study uh, that you've basically yeah. conducted yeah. that can easily I wouldn't say easily, but that could be replicated by other retailers who are maybe hesitant, as you said, you know, like you mentioned earlier, one of the challenges facing retailers, and it's understandable, of course, is that you're, you're pointing to a growing category and saying you need to provide more room for this. But the question then becomes, what do we displace um, as we bring in more plant-based products and highlight them over others? Um, right. And and it's tough to know if you don't know what what consumers want. And so the it sounds like the this campaign was a great example of how you can you can showcase products under one banner, um, in, educate the consumer, also gauge how interested they are, and then use that data um, to then kind of inform your decisions in the future. Because you know these are giant companies; they aren't going to make decisions on a whim. Um, and and I think that kind of leads to the point about the importance of data, and I think you mentioned it uh, again, is sounds like a majority of, of your role is as much as it's about being creative and building relationships and representing the brands and educating the retailers and forming those partnerships with uh, the champions within each retailer who will be willing to take on plan-based. But beyond that is to be able to then translate all these learnings into real hard data that can be used to make um, some real progress. Very well, no, <laughs> thank you. Yes, yes. So that's we we provide the like I said the definition definition of plant based, the size of the market, the growth, and then to build on what you just said, the the industry is. One of the key reasons we've been talking about that we engage is to help understand how to merchandise. And there are varying opinions on behalf of members and retailers, what makes the most sense. And it's there's no hard data. There's no um, evidence-based research that points to what the right merchandising strategies are. You know, Beyond Meat was very successful, and now there's been you know so many more brands following to 
uh, be placed in the meat department. So that did provide really good data point that there's something here, but there was also, that's a unique item. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to be learned beyond that. You can't use, you know, that one data point to make sweeping um, recommendations across the store. So as a start, uh, to provide the answer to that question of how to merchandise plant-based foods that are optimal for sales and, and easy to make it easier for the for the shopper to find, we are uh, partnering with Kroger. There was a press release a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. that announced our official partnership, and it's a it's a research project that's testing a three-foot plant-based meat set within the meat department, and it's bringing in all types and all brands all together in one location, and they Kroger has the um, uh, gold standard of the industry working working with the company that they own a subsidiary 8451, which is their data analytic arm. And it we just couldn't be happier about being able to work with somebody that to be able to work with a retailer that is so influential, being the number one retailer in the country, and having such a strong research arm. Just a perfect partner to be able to provide credible evidence-based research to be able to answer this question. And there's a quantitative element to it, and there's also a qualitative in that we are going to be interviewing shoppers and gauging their interest, uh, their reaction to the set. Are there any barriers? Is there How do they feel about the signage? Does, how does it resonate with them? And I think, you know, with my experience in data, it's great to have quantitative, it's great to have qualitative, but really important to have both to be able to provide the whole story and to be able to make solid recommendations. So that's been uh, a really exciting, really exciting opportunity for us to be able to fund this through, um, you know, through donor funding and be able to help guide the industry and help provide some clarity, you know, for, for something that's really a pressing question. You know, I can, I can um, testify yeah. <laughs> a testimony to how what a burning question it is because there's like I said a lot of a lot of differing opinions and a lot of dif- disparate locations throughout the store. Yeah, and and so this test that's running with Kroger is that or this research project is it um, s- specific regions? Where where exactly will this happen? And yeah, for how so, long? Mm-hmm. So it's the beginning of next month, and it's taking place in what they call their central division and Denver King Super. So the test is across, it's a control store test across 60 stores. Uh, so within Denver, Illinois, and Indiana, and it will run for 20 weeks. And then we'll, we'll, we'll have a check-in point, you know, to see if there's any you know, need to course correct, but um, all in all, the test will, t- will take a full 20 weeks to be able to really gauge solid results. The meat, plant-based meat category specifically is starting to get very crowded. So uh, mm-hmm. actually, I, I don't know how all of the players, how some of the players in that industry and in that space are going to feel about being alongside others. But in the interest of the entire industry, I think it's important that we try something right. like this out uh, right. so we can gauge what consumers like and what they're interested in, especially exactly. in, in markets where they they don't know much and they're curious. Um this I think will provide a good, I mean, great data point for uh, for future conversations and future test projects. I mean, you mentioned, you know, merchandising in general. Uh, I think the jury is still out on a lot of these things. Uh, I, there's there's conflicting data, not just about placement of products, but also about terminology that should be used in marketing products or in on packaging. 
do you get involved in that? And, and uh, do you have any thoughts on um, on what's the ideal uh, terminology to be used? Like how is, what works for companies and what doesn't? Yeah, that's such a great question. Yes, it's we are testing that as part of this research as well. So, yeah, there's 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 plant based meat. There's plant based alternatives. There's non dairy. There's you know, many different ways of describing. And so we will be able to glean some insights from this research on what best resonates. And and the other point I didn't mention earlier is that Kroger is mainstream right that's it's we're, we're going after that larger percent of the population and being able to get their reaction to exactly what you're saying you know are they comfortable that with this what we call an integrated segregated so it's putting everything together to help them you know understand and find it but it's still within the meat department and and, uh, and then how how important a signage is to them mm-hmm. as well as what's what does resonate is it is it plant-based is that clear enough plant-based meat is that something that they're comfortable with? Do they feel that that's the right terminology? Or if not, what is? Because that's another thing. There's a lot of opinion around that. The fact that you're talking to big retailers like Kroger uh, that are very mainstream, and the reason you're able to make headway into some of these retailers is based on, as you said, use the word champions within those organizations. It says something about how far we've come in this industry or this the subsector of the industry that you have folks from the in the in the inside of of large retailers uh trying to push them in this direction because number 1 it is where things are trending upward and number 2 because it is the right thing to do mhm exactly exactly uh i just have to include this little tidbit of information the 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 leader of this research within the, the meat department who manages the meat department is actually vegan and has been for eight years. <laughs> so, um, so it's, it's a, um, really a, a great fit for him as well, you know, to be able to test this and learn about it. And uh, yeah, I, I've been really impressed with the openness of somebody like, you know, a meat department manager within Kroger. And then another example is the meat department manager of Hannaford back in um, in Maine. He attended plant-based expo, plant-based world expo in New York City over the summer. This manager took it upon himself. He, he, he realized that when he ran out of, uh, you know, particular product in in the meat department, shoppers were not happy. And he realized he'd been in, you know, in that role for many years and had not seen anything like this. So he got on a plane and attended. And uh, I have such respect for for people that, you know, approach a problem or an opportunity like that. And uh, he actually saw me speak on a panel. He followed up with me afterwards, asked if I would be willing to come out and speak to his executive team. Uh, There were three to four people in, from every department in the store, uh, we served a plant-based lunch and we talked all about plant-based foods. You know, everybody was just wanting to be educated. And and so there's, that's a, um, Hannaford is a 180 store chain that's part of Ahold, uh, but definitely a, a focus on wellness, fresh, you know, more of a um, health and wellness mm-hmm. feel in terms of how they, the, the products that they, the foods that they stock, the the way they market themselves and very steeped in the community and and then we're also working with we conducted a webinar with 
National Grocers Association and Natural um, Co-op um, and NCA. Um, there's they they represent the the natural channel, which is really important. You know, it's a, really a symbiotic relationship with all of the different types of retailers that that exist. And there are you know there's there's a there's a, a reason you know each of those those retailers serve a different part of the, of the population for different reasons. And and when we call, we call it an incubator channel because it there's usually fewer barriers to entry. You know, they can test things with at a lesser cost and it's more efficient and really test to see how these, how their um, foods are received. And then it grows from there. And, and if it's successful, then it's brought into conventional. And that's not to say that conventional retailers are not, um, in a, you know, they're, they're becoming very innovative, but uh, I think that you know historically it's been demonstrated that it's it's important to support all types of retailers for for the reasons that I just explained. You know, it's just it's I think there's an appreciation there. You know, on the brand's behalf, brand you know companies that make the make the plant-based foods as well as even within the industry itself. So of course, when you're talking to these broad this range of retailers across the board, what is that one message or key data point that you share with them? to get their, get them to pay attention. Of course, you, you mentioned the 31% growth in two years and the fact that everything else is flat. Um, that's obviously going to get their attention. But beyond that, is there something else that you're able to communicate to them? Like, what's your elevator pitch? Yeah. So the, the key, if there's one thing to say, to make clear, and I'm going to sound somewhat like a broken record, but make it easier for your shoppers. They know what they want. They know why they want it. Make it easier for them to find. And another question that is asked is, is this a trend that's here to stay? And we've moved, we've transcended trend. <laughs> this is a movement. And we make that clear by providing evidence-based research that speaks to the parts of the population, which you know, we include millennials and baby boomers, you know, we're talking about you know, most everyone. Uh, and again, I said this earlier that it's not just for health. It's not just for animal welfare. It's not just for the environment. It's for all of, all, all of that. And you have millennials that actually act on their values. You know, they're, they're, they are purchasing, they're, they're not waiting. They, they don't, you know, there's there's no reticence there. They're they're acting on it and have tremendous purchasing power, and uh, so it's it's really just to drive that home that they understand that this is something that's not going away, and to be able to demonstrate why. You know, to be able to explain why, and it's really hard hard to dispute that when you when you know you really start to think about it, and then you start as the information comes in because, like you said, though there's so much information practically daily in the news with with the, the the massive, you know, amounts of tests and fast food chains and, you know, continued growth and innovation. And, and now they can look at it through this lens, to this, to this, you know, very important way of, of looking at this category. I mean, I can't compare it to any other, like I said, I've been doing this a long time and, you know, there, there are trends and, and, and some of them are, you know, nothing to, nothing to dismiss, you know, they're very, they're important. Mm -hmm. You can throw out gluten-free or, um, you know, paleo or keto you know there there are a lot of you know you know trends that are worth paying attention to because you need to but this is not this is not categorized as that 
the more and more that that we can help educate and help them understand, you know, not just from a purchase driving motivator like we've been talking about, but, you know, just help them understand, demystify what plant-based foods are, help them be able to get ahead and, and be able to anticipate what's coming in terms of, you know, what, what categories in particular are growing the fastest. Um, there's tremendous growth in yogurt and ice cream, for example. Um, some categories that, are, you know, there's, there's, there's insights to be gleaned from what's happening now. And what does that mean for other categories in the store? Uh, you know, so we can help, you know, with the data that we have, because we do have, you know, scan sales through our data, our, our partnership with spins. So we can, you know, help help you know answer their questions uh, i want to underscore the point that you said right in the beginning uh, of the answer which was uh, there's enough uh, data right now to support that this is beyond just a trend and that this is here to stay it is uh it, it is not just a consumer movement it is the only way we can actually transform our food system into a healthy and sustainable one and so that should be pretty easy to prove because there's there's science backing it, plus there's um, market data to back it up. Then the question really becomes is how are you going to make it easy for consumers? And I, and I think that is there's so much in that. It is so simple, yet not so simple, which is if this is where everyone is heading, if this is where the industry is heading and this is where consumers are heading, how are you making it easy? And that's the only question that they need to answer and find ways to solve for that problem, which is provide access to this uh, food because people want to eat it. And you said it's right. not just generational. I mean, it, it impacts baby boomers. And of course, you take millennials and Gen Z, they're like half of the population. Um, and they're probably driving some of this growth. But, um, but you know, in a few years time, would you want to be the last retailer to jump on board to this? <laughs> right. <laughs> when everyone's right. already figured it out and, and made inroads into providing more shelf space of plant-based foods and uh, educating their consumer base uh, about what these products are. So I think that's a super important point, and that's why I wanted to repeat it because I didn't want to get wanted to get lost. Um, and secondly, you mentioned about you know product categories that are um, that are driving the retail growth. Of course, we know plant-based milks have had tremendous growth in the last few years, and and so have plant-based meats. But there's a lot of interesting. Uh, momentum now in the plant-based yogurt and ice cream um, categories as well, and cheese as well. Uh, right. So when you let's, let's look into the trends that that you've observed, because again, you're talking to retailers on a daily basis, and you're talking to brands on a daily basis. You literally have the best vantage point to be able to predict where some of these these trends are going. And I know you are unbiased and agnostic; <laughs> you represent mm -hmm. all of them. But um, where are we seeing the most amount of momentum right now? Uh, what's in the horizon? What's going to be the next plant-based milk? Mm -hmm. There are, uh, I think we, we all kind of um, have adopted, there's, there's really um, nothing that can't be milked. <laughs> no seed or nut that can be, can't be milked. And um, of course, you know, oat milk is, I, I, has just, um, while it's the dar it's currently the darling and triple-digit growth, has not um, is not seeing any slow any slowing in that growth um, anytime soon. Uh, so various you know various 
types of oat milk and you know all the innovation that that brands and macadamia nuts and you know really not even knowing what nuts are, are yet to be discovered and and uh, can contribute to the the uh, additional nutritional profile or um, just you know satisfy shoppers needs to to try something new and uh, so while milk is definitely the the largest part of the um, total plant-based volume and that's a lot you know going back to what we're talking about with merchandising there's you know that that paved the way for a lot of the you know to be able to be something that we can look to 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 see you know clearly it's it's merchandise where people expect to find it and uh, really the only other addition we talked about this is the importance of of clear signage that's still something that i think you know is needed everywhere but uh, in terms of other categories you mentioned cheese there's a tremendous amount of innovation in cheese and uh, there are um, now legume um, cheeses made from legumes that are, are block cheese so it's been traditionally driven by shreds and slices but now we're getting into um, actually making the people that are very that's one of the hardest um you know becoming a fully plant-based one of the hardest things to give up is cheese and i mean i know why i mean it's virtually addicting <laughs> and uh and so now to be able to provide something that is so um so much like you know what they're used to eating and in the way they're used to to eating and the, the way we like to talk about it is it's so easy to just you know trade out there's just so much incredible innovation so there's there's a lot of um, innovation within cheese and the growth like i mentioned before you know there's significant growth in yogurt um chobani has introduced their own um but so many of our members have have introduced wonderful um new products that are enough now that it makes it going back to one of the points you made now this it, it should be easy but I, I appreciate you pointing out that it's not easy you know making these sweeping changes in merchandising within a store based on something that is uh, relatively small but massive growth that's not an easy uh, task you know it's not an easy so uh, again you know anyone who's making who's leaning into this and 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 they're being rewarded, you know, the, the sales are there, um, but it's it's just, you know, it's a constant, uh, you know, a store is only so big, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you can you know, can have to work within the four walls. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think just being able to make room for all the innovation, that's the key, you know, I mean, people it's are driven by having, being able to have choices and variety and options, and you can't do that within a, a, a three-foot set in an obscure part of the store. It's not going to allow for all of the the new products. And and where it is integrated, like I was saying, I was starting to say, is that yogurt. There's enough now new, innovative. You know, it's being made from coconut and from almond and you know um, many different types of of um, plant-based foods. It's enough now to be able to merchandise it together and put clear signage. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been in stores myself, you know, very recently where there's been a, a retail employee and a shopper looking for uh, a plant-based yogurt and neither one of them can find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to be there. I'm, you know, ha- happy to help, <laughs> but I mean, that just screams that, you know, if nothing else, if nothing else, put signage, put a shelf tag, 
that that indicates that it's plant based. Yeah, I've you know? had that experience of being in a grocery store and I, I overheard someone going, "Where is the vegan cheese? Where is the vegan cheese?" And and I was happy that I knew exactly where it was <laughs> yeah. and could point him to that Thank refrigerator. You know. <laughs> uh, so I, I did I did my part. Um, yeah. But no, that should be something the retailer should be thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you yeah. know, uh, thinking ahead a little bit, it's it's important for retailers to to not fall behind on some of these trends because, as you just said, you know, there's no way to manufacture more space. Um, so they have the space that they have in their stores and they can choose. And they're obviously, it seems like, infinite amount of products available. Um so they have to make decisions around what they choose to highlight and what they choose to stock. But uh, right. as I said, thinking ahead, it, it it seems to have taken longer than most predicted. But there's uh, there's other distribution channels that are coming about. There's the threat of e-commerce in, in a big mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. that... That if retailers are going to be slow to to make the moves in the right direction um, and go where the consumers are going, which is shifting mostly towards plants, they're basically going to get uh, trumped by e-commerce offerings from certain retailers um, or or big giant companies out there that own certain retailers. I guess they will make so much progress quickly that, that that it'll be tough for the other retailers to catch up. And I know a lot of these big retailers are also exploring e-commerce and Absolutely. attempting yeah. to. Um, but that's the future that's happening. I mean, I don't think retail grocery stores will go away, but we can underestimate um, the power of e-commerce. I mean, everyone has always underestimated it. <laughs> and look at where Amazon mm-hmm. is today. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think it's an excellent point. I'm glad you brought it up because that's, I think, the ability to, you know, it's limitless and it's many companies, that's how they're getting their foothold. Once it reaches a critical mass, then it can be stocked in, in both places, you know, it can be available in the store. And and that just that just helps the whole movement, you know. It yeah. it provides that opportunity for people to get what they want, and then if they want to be able to buy it in their local grocery store, you can, you know, there's always the option to ask. <laughs> you know, many retailers are responsive to. They, I've been really impressed too with how laser focused they are on the shopper. They really put all of their decisions based on what their shoppers, and that seems to be just you know an obvious statement. Mm-hmm. But when you were are bombarded with so many, you know, companies and presentations and um, information, you know, to cut through that and just be able to focus on uh, what the shoppers are, what they're acting on and what they want. And it's really impressive. So, yeah, yeah. No, I, think, I think it's a really good, excellent point. And there's a, there is a lot of focus within the retailers that we've been working with um, for their e-commerce arm. And I think um, as, a, as a whole separate channel for them. Yeah, and I know we've been focusing a lot on what retailers are doing and should do and can do, um, but I know you also talk to the brands. Um, what is it that they can do differently? What advice do you give brands who are, um, are again, struggling to break through and convince retailers to to stock their products and to uh, also do it and place it in, in parts of the grocery store where people can find it? Mm-hmm. I think that it's it's important to really understand, you know, be empathetic 
with the challenges that retailers have and come in with a a well thought out plan that ties in with that retailer strategy. So this is not something that is, um, they, they need a commitment. They need a long-term commitment. They need to be confident in the supply. So a brand wants to be able to go in there with confidence to say that they can supply this product without a problem and they can support it with a, with a marketing plan and wh- whatever that retailer strategy is. Uh, I think that, you know, it's just really important to, to, you know, and, and, and most brands, I mean, they, they have, very smart, you know. I mean, they they understand what it, what it means to work with retailers. But I, I think you know, new companies that have not been historically have knowledge of of the retail industry. That's definitely what I would say is just do your homework, understand what their go to market strategy is, uh, present you know, present marketing programs, present make they need to make it easy for the retailer to make it easy for the shopper. And that's the key. You need to make it turnkey and simple and comprehensive and show it your commitment because the retailer is taking, you know, they're, they're, you can't, you need to minimize their risk and, and you can, you definitely have control over that piece of it. And I think really, you know, as a, as a collaborative approach, you know, now that we are all working together on behalf of, you know, in support of each other, you know, we're all saying that that's one of the things I hear from members is common messaging. You know, so we're not, and that's what really what we're driving towards is to not add to the confusion, but to all work together to understand, you know, what, what we're all saying and that we're saying, you know, at least something that's a semblance of something that's consistent, you know, so we're not, we're not, we're working in, in, in harmony, not, not, and there's, I have another thing I've really been amazed with the, the, the sense of camaraderie mm-hmm. among companies and even retailers, you know, I just feel like the, the underlying, uh, again, the, the reason why this exists is it brings us all together. And I think what you said there is, it may, as you said, it may seem obvious, but it is, uh, again, one of those crucial points that sometimes people forget, uh, especially younger, newer startups that are, uh, like you mentioned earlier, are so focused on raising capital, on figuring out how to manufacture and scale their manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they f- they're like in this mad race to, to make all of this happen. And then then they just assume that the retailers are going to embrace them with open arms when they're ready. And with most, you know, this again is obvious because with, and the fact that we have to say it, it's probably unnecessary, but I think it's important to, to re-emphasize what you just said, which is the only way to make any successful partnership work out, and that goes for a brand with a retailer, is if the brand who's approaching the retailer understands the motivations and the drivers for that retailer and is able to provide value to them or able to tell their story in the context of what the retailer is looking for. And not going in with with that research or understanding or appreciation is not only stu- bad business. I was going to say stupid, but it's <laughs> it's it's ignorant. It's arrogant on your part as well, uh, and it also won't get you far because that that's the only way. Uh, anything has ever worked is if you can, you know, because I think a lot of what I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of um, it's easy sometimes for young innovative companies to, uh, to, to, to get to think that they've created the next best thing since sliced bread. And now everyone should just 
right. everyone should just jump on board and and help it become the next big thing and it's not that easy even the next the things that have become the next big thing have in, have done it only by patiently grinding away at each retailer by tailoring their pitches to uh and and the data that they present also uh, so that event, you know, when a retailer is presented with a, a with a new SKU, they understand that uh, this is exactly what my shopper is looking for. That's why I'm going to choose it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah, and it's exactly that simple. Right. But uh, but you know, sometimes even it gets people. People think this is all some a big conspiracy. It's not. I think retailers. If your product is good and their shoppers want to buy it, then we've got to, um, you know, just break down some of the barriers that are restricting this ease of uh, flow of products to the end shoppers. And I think, uh, yeah, I think that's the best way to describe what you're doing is you're breaking down those barriers. You're you're making sure that the the data from the brand side is reaching the retailers and the retailers understand uh, the other side. And plus, you have the consumer. And the shopper data to back it all up, uh, so both believe that they're getting into a good deal in the end. Yeah, that's that's why I say it's an honor. <laughs> it really is. I mean, that's uh, that's so well stated. Now, yeah, yeah. So, looking into twenty twenty, what are what are your priorities? I mean, uh, we're at the end of twenty nineteen almost now, and. As you said, and I've said, plant-based has never been bigger than it is at the moment. And uh, by by all estimates, it looks like there's no slowing down at this rate. So what does 2020 look like now that you are about a year in? I can't believe you've been mm-hmm. in this job mm-hmm. only for a year. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What, what, what is next year bringing in terms of, uh, I know you mentioned the Kroger partnership, but I'm sure there's a lot more in, in store. Yeah. So we're looking to to grow our team to meet the demand. There's really no retailer that has said that they don't want to, to work with us in some capacity in, in the ways that we've talked about. So really just being able to to, to meet the demand of, of what's currently happening and, and continue with the the educational, the, being able to have a the opportunity to be invited into a headquarter and a headquarter office for a retailer and educate their staff and have a small enough group where you can actually discuss. You know, it's not just a, I'm talking at them, but we're having a discussion, learning from each other and building upon that. That's proved to be a very um, good way to to further the relationship, You know, building that credibility, build, building that partnership, and then being able to support them. So another, uh, what we're looking to expand is I said earlier, leveraging the media. And that's something that PBFA does very well. And retailers appreciate that, you know, to be able to talk about what they're doing. I was just amazed at how receptive um, the press was to be able to talk about all the good that the, the, the innovative strategies that, that retailers are taking and, and to demonstrate their leadership, you know. And so that's something else that we're, we're looking to, to increase that type of support of, of our retailers and and members for that matter you know everyone wins when when that type of ex- exposure and and support is employed and yeah i think um additional research projects i mean they're they're you know merchandising is not the only um, thing we want to learn about you know there's there's 
you know, we want to make sure here, here's the thing, you know, we want to make sure we get Kroger right, right? It's a big project and, you know, spending time to make sure that that that's seen through uh, and that we can build upon that, you know, build upon those learnings and to tr- help that set the stage for other research that will be as valuable mm-hmm. to the industry. So I think, you know, building upon, and then, you know, that we, we ran the shopper marketing program. Uh, there has been um, more demand for that. And so being able to help coordinate those type of, of campaigns on behalf of members and, and, on a broader scale. And really one of the key challenges that we learned about was about sampling, how critical it is that people want to be able to taste it. You know, that's, that's, that's not revolutionary in and of itself, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's even more important with plant-based foods and because people have, maybe have a perception in their mind. Right. And so, but uh, it's a challenge. It's, it's to expect a, demonst- a demonstrator of food that, you know, person who's sampling the food to be able to answer all of the questions that shoppers have, you know, we spent a, a tremendous amount of time educating and it's, it's, we found that that's a challenge. So really finding the solution for that and testing the best way to sample products. I mean, brands have their brand ambassadors and that is ideal. Those people, you know, they, they can, you know, speak to all of the questions and they, they but that's not always feasible. You know, retailers have their own demonstrating uh, sampling companies that they use internally. And so I'm, I'm posing a more of an opportunity than a solution. We know that it's needed, mm-hmm. but it's something that needs to be researched and figured out because it's very important. It's a very important to the growth of plant-based foods. So yeah. that's another that's opportunity a great, that good we're going to tackle. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so it seems like your your career has been leading up to this point since age fourteen, uh, <laughs> and, and um and I think you are the right place at the right time um, to really help this industry grow and and I think we're at this very early stages of of this transformation that's happening, and, and we still have a long long way to go. So, um, yeah. you know, my last question, like I close out all my podcasts with this question, which is, if if PBFA succeeds in the work that you're doing is successful, however you define that success, um, what kind of you know food system do you want to help create? And what is your vision for the food system in 2050 if plant-based becomes the new norm and let's say 90% of uh, the, the shelf in each category is dedicated to plant-based products in the future? I'm not going to say if, you know, we will be successful in achieving the goals and the, the strategies and, and tactics that we've put out to to help spur the growth of of plant-based foods as a whole so we anticipate exponential growth of you know to be you know a minimum of of 10 to 20 percent over the next you know five to ten years and in terms of you know the food system it's I'll be honest. No, I have to say this because it's the truth. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot from you and your 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 Eat for the planet book and and a lot of the you know other great sources that that um, support. It just the food system has to be more efficient, and that we don't need to dedicate as much land and resources to feeding animals. We actually can use that land to feed ourselves, and that to me is 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 truly the dream. You know, to know that fewer animals are being harmed and it's really just a, um the it's a it's it's a very logical way to, to to think about how we feed ourselves and that 
if we there's there's just no other option there's no other option than to make a change that we cannot sustain the food system as it stands now so by by being afforded the opportunity to are these decisions are these are made and partner with our members and partner with retailers that will pave the way for an efficient food system that takes animals out of the equation as much as possible well i love that answer thank you julie this is uh this has been a lot of fun for us to have this conversation and, and record it finally yeah <laughs> yes thank you now so much this is such a pleasure i really appreciate your support and appreciate the opportunity You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.